You're listening to Around the King's Table, a podcast of the Mount Church in Clemson, South Carolina, with Pastor George Marshall and Pastor Brian Mann. Pull up a chair and listen in as they seek to serve up biblical dialogue for building disciples of Jesus. All right. Well, let me welcome you to this episode of Around the King's Table, where we aim to share in biblical dialogue for... No. Building, Building disciples. disciples of Jesus. Yeah, I do. I was just like, I know. I'm Brian. I'm George. And with us today is Hannah Johnson. Hannah Johnson. And Hannah, uh, I wanted to initially ask you to share how you serve our church, but really, I think we'd all agree it's more like how you don't, how don't you serve <laughs> our church. Um, at any rate, could you share how you officially serve the Mount? I am children's ministry director, and Mm -hmm. that's mainly what I do. And I also love to show hospitality, Mm -hmm. and I help with music sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm very faithful in all of that. We're so thankful for you. On today's episode, although we'd love to talk about ministry to the children God's entrusted to our care, we want to give some final reflections on our time as a church studying First Peter. Uh, We finished the letter a few weeks ago, and so we've given a little bit of time to stew. And now, if only to highlight the fact that while we may finish a part of God's Word, that part of God's Word is never in this world finished with us. It's supposed to get in us and on us and go with us wherever we go. We want to reflect on 1 Peter. So, all that said, Hannah, how would you summarize the letter's message I would say that Peter is encouraging believers that are suffering, at the very least, social ostracism, but at most persecution, to be faithful to walk with Jesus, which means suffering and glory. Hmm. Amen. George, you want to add anything to that? Yeah, I thought, you know, be like Jesus, which he did right off, and not the, you know, grandma cookie baking grandma of jesus but the one that's be <laughs> humble you know be the body of christ mm-hmm. reject sin pursue holiness and do it as a people so yeah mm-hmm. yeah amen is there any uh more particular theme or themes of the letter that stood out for you as we went through it especially as i've reflected on it yesterday and today i was just really struck how he wants the church to feel belonging together. Mm-hmm. And yeah. just in the hostile environment where their families might have been throwing them out and their neighbors were confused why they didn't come along with them in, I think Peter calls it debauchery. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Peter wants them to know that they belong to the best community of all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to ask a question in just a moment about things that were surprising in First Peter, and I think especially having preached through it, I think uh, seeing the, the emphasis on the local church community, this new creation community, I mean, it basically starts in chapter one, the very tail end there of, of chapter one, and then runs all the way through chapter four, verse 19 or something like that. And if you want to include the section on elders, it even kind of goes a little bit further, but it's almost like the whole letter is actually taken up with being this distinctive community of Jesus in the midst of, right. a, of a of a fallen and increasingly antagonistic society. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 
Anything particularly stick out to you? Yeah, especially because of just our culture, the contentiousness. I mean, he calls them to peaceable living. It's really that their community living, their love for one another is actually going to be more maybe telling than their own personal, at times, uh, confession. But that's still an element of it that they come together with a, you know, using that sacrifice, using those um, temptations, trials that they're going through um, to actually pursue the gospel with people Mm -hmm. um they're they're not wasted events even if they're you know being mocked or put in prison those things can still be used so sort of god's providence as well in both their own personal sufferings and in the community sufferings yeah yeah there's a there's a living for jesus uh in in view in the view of the world Mm -hmm. uh the world oftentimes not always but oftentimes will respond to that life in christ uh in, in a way that draws out uh, their their anger, their rage, their their disagreement at the very least. But then Peter comes back and he's like, just like Jesus does in the Gospels, and he's like, when that happens, right. that's actually the moment that you have you have their most uh, attentive ear, ears and listening. So make sure that you're you're bold and courageous to proclaim the gospel in those moments, exactly. not to shy away from it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anything else in terms of just particular themes uh, in in First Peter that that were impactful for you, stood out for you? And we've already touched on it a little bit, but just that idea of practical holiness. Like, it's not just something, mm-hmm. it's not meant to be self-righteous. It's meant to, you're being like God himself. He calls you to be like him, which is devoted to him, which mm-hmm. necessarily calls for putting other things aside. Um, and doing that as a community is very, very powerful. As mm-hmm. one person, it's not as powerful, but doing it as a community, it is. It really mm-hmm. does do something. The community sees it and they give glory to God. We did that song, you know, recently, but the idea of they see it and they respond and that actually cycles. We start responding because we see them responding. Mm-hmm. So, it's nice. yeah. Okay. Hannah, uh, anything you didn't expect from first Peter, uh, but as we went through the letter verse by verse, you found this to be a good surprise or something that was particularly useful for you. I think I was most surprised that the confusing part um, with Noah and the spirits mm-hmm. was actually the most encouraging sermon for me mm. of the okay. whole book. Just identifying Jesus as our ark that brings mm. us through those waters of suffering and seeing his triumph. And something that stood out to me is how you said in the Gospels, the demons... Um, mm ask him, is it at this time you've come to destroy us? Mm-hmm. And I never connected that to Genesis 3.15, where mm-hmm. God says, you know, the seed will destroy mm-hmm. the serpent. And yeah. so all of those thousands of years, the serpent knew Jesus was coming to destroy them at some time. Mm-hmm. And just, I never connected that. That's how they knew exactly what he had come for. Mm-hmm. And they were asking him, is this the precise time? Mm-hmm. And then just seeing Christ in his, probably his resurrection, proclaiming victory over them. Mm-hmm. That was just amazing. I love seeing themes all the way through scripture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that yeah. was helpful for me as well. Yeah. How about you, brother? Uh, so, I mean, we, we so much in the New Testament focus on either Gospels or the bigger letters. First Peter kind of gets pushed to the side. Um, we should start, be. It's, they shouldn't be. When, but when we do start doing the smaller letters, we, yeah. we focus on like James. And yeah. so it, this is kind of leads where, where I'm thinking. But yeah. what really stood out to me or, or caught my attention, we talk about James and how it kind of mirrors or, or kind of overlaps with the Beatitudes. Yeah. Um, and, and that's like a really like 
lots of people talk about that kind of thing. Um, I wasn't expecting First Peter to do it. And if I did expect First Peter to do anything, I might have guessed Mark. You know, it's supposed to be Peter's kind of gospel telling. Mm-hmm. Um, but Matthew, you just dovetail First Peter with Matthew and you start seeing you yeah. know, chapters 5 through 7 with mm-hmm. Beatitudes. You start seeing uh, chapter yeah. 10 with disciple making and cost of discipleship. Um, so that mm-hmm. dovetailing of Matthew, and I'm not su- suggesting either one had the other one in hand. It's not a literary mm-hmm. dependence, but the Jesus tradition just was that impactful that these two yeah. different types of writings both reflect right. Jesus' teaching so well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you can just tell that it's in Peter. Correct. Mm-hmm. The, the, the Old Testament scriptures are in Peter, and then yeah, the yeah. Jesus tradition that you find in the Gospels are just in Peter. And so they're right. oozing out of him when he, when he comes to, to write these letters for, yeah. for the churches. Yeah. It, it pictures it as a coherent whole. It's not just, well, we have these teachings that we've developed to benefit the church here. No, this is Jesus teaching kind of just lived out in mm-hmm. these different literary settings mm-hmm. and then yeah. lived out in our lives as we respond to those settings. Yeah. So. And kind of along those lines, I was thinking based on something you said in a message, mm-hmm. um, you had mentioned how Peter was the one that said, no, Jesus, you can't suffer. Right. right. And then yeah. you see Peter <clears throat> trying not to suffer at all costs, like first denouncing Jesus for saying that and then denying Jesus at the cross so he didn't suffer with him. And then even after Jesus appeared to them, you see Peter, instead of proclaiming the gospel, saying to all the disciples, let's go fishing. Mm-hmm. And then Jesus has to call him back from mm-hmm. that and commission him again to go feed yeah. his sheep. And just seeing the progression of Peter yeah. being the one that most doesn't want to suffer and doesn't want the Messiah to suffer, mm-hmm. writing this book at the end of his life yeah. and saying, Christ suffered and see what it accomplished and we suffer with him. Right. And then even to his martyrdom, which mm-hmm. church history says was being crucified upside down, mm-hmm. like he embodied wanting to suffer with his Lord. Mm-hmm. And that was just amazing to me to think about the progression through his life and encouraging, yeah. like if we fail to suffer with Jesus multiple times, mm-hmm. he still brings us back like he did with Peter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And his ability, I think to, uh, again, talking about sort of particular themes here is, is the ability for the Christian to see the ascendant trajectory of mm-hmm. Jesus's life. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. He comes into the world. And he is, he is the man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He, he is the sufferer, you know. And yet, that's not the end. Right. Like, none of the Gospels end on the cross. It always ends in resurrection. And Peter's just saying, so, so you can take heart, take confidence uh, in walking and sharing in the sufferings of Jesus, walking with Jesus. Because no matter the sufferings, you know, because you know Jesus, you know the end for Jesus, that's your end with him. You're, you're united to him. You're identified with him. So if you see his cross and then you see the empty tomb, you can know that when you're bearing your own crosses, the end of that is right. joy eternal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So get to it. <laughs> All right. Uh, any specific verse or set of verses in First Peter that captured your heart? I know we, we asked this question uh, we we did sort of the the episode on the first half of First Peter, and so my thinking is is definitely towards the the latter half of First Peter here. What was was anything added in that sense? But but either way, uh, any any set of verses or or a verse that captured your heart in First Peter? Uh, yeah. Uh, so First Peter three thirteen through seventeen. I won't quote the whole thing, but two verses especially in that. I I, I hate doing verses in isolation. Um, but the one that stands out is actually 17, uh, for it's better to suffer for doing good. If that good 
should be God's will than for doing evil. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that whole idea of if you're go- you're going to probably suffer in this life anyway mm-hmm. is part of Peter's statement. It, it, make sure as a Christian you're doing it following Christ and not just because you're living a life that looks like the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's pretty important. But even before he gets, gets there, verse 15 is basically the always be ready to give a defense. You know, they're going to take you, they're going to put you in prison, they're going to make you suffer, mm-hmm. um, but use those things as opportunities to share why you are in this position in the first place. What's the hope that is in you? And so it's really that uh, intentional um, use of those providential positions God puts us in. Yeah. So that, that really stood out to me. Yeah, I think mine were 4, 7 through um, 11, where it starts with mm-hmm. the end of all things is at hand, mm-hmm. and it ends with to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. So it mm-hmm. starts with this anticipating the end, but yet also anticipating eternity. And then nice. in between was that sequence you said yeah. <laughs> um, about... Yeah. Loving to pray and praying to serve. And yeah, I don't think I got that things. right, but all of those. <laughs> right. But yeah. that was really encouraging. Right. Just a very succinct summary yeah. of what we're supposed to be about yeah. as the church. Um, love one another earnestly. Show hospitality to one another. Right. Use your gifts to serve one another. That's just a really helpful yeah. reminder when we're like, what should we be about today? Yeah. And those are really practical things. Yeah. Yeah. That's what, that's, if I had to pick up a word for First Peter, practical, whether it be practical holiness or yeah. practical is the word that comes out. It's lived out for real. Yeah. Here it is. Lo- living to pray, praying to love, loving to serve, serving to the glory of God. Yeah. I, lo- I love that. Yeah. Yeah. We're on the cusp of eternity. Mm-hmm. Right. The end is near. Yeah. And we're supposed to just go crazy, you know, buy up all the water and all these kinds of things, the bread and the grocery stores. No. <laughs> Peter says... Keep a cool head. Yep. Pray. Love. Yep. Have people in your home. Yep. Show hospitality. <laughs> and serve the church. Use mm-hmm. use the gifts that God has given to you to serve the church. Be this distinctive community in the midst of it all. While everybody else is like going crazy, like you be Christ's people in yep. the midst of it. Yeah. yeah. And I liked that you emphasized we make time for the things we care about. Mm-hmm. So we order our days around the things that have to happen. So if mm-hmm. we're not ordering our days around prayer, we don't actually believe it has to happen as mm-hmm. if that's a consistent pattern in our lives. And that was very challenging. Yeah. Well, having it said back to me is very convicting. <laughs> well, on that, you know, so convicting uh, chapter five, yeah. that opening that, that also stuck, stuck out simply because of you yeah. know, current place in ministry and the, the challenge, the weight, the, yeah. the satisfaction that comes out of it when it's done well. But yeah, the conviction when it, maybe it's not. So yeah, yeah. The, the, the call to elders is, is, is a pretty, it's a, it's a high and lofty one. Although, I mean, mm-hmm. I think his main point is that like every man in the church should be heading in that trajectory to live up to what an elder would be. Mm-hmm. So. I think it's somewhere in there that it says not serving under compulsion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in our women's study, we talked about that, just like how that would apply to everyone, even though it's specifically said of elders. And that was mm-hmm. just such an interesting thing to talk through because especially when there's not a lot of people here on a Sunday morning, everybody is doing something yeah. and some people are doing right. a lot of things. That's right. And like you. <laughs> well, a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. And, mm-hmm. and that was just a really encouraging thought to just pray toward serving not under compulsion and i just always think megan and Corey do that so well they're always mm. so happy to serve yes golf claps for megan and Corey. Yeah. 
you know, yeah. they're good servants. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, for me, uh, definitely, you mentioned the, the first Peter three, uh, passage, the strange, uh, passage there mm-hmm. with the ark and Noah and angels and all these kinds of things. Um, but just the very end of that passage, I believe is verse 22, uh, where it is, uh, let's see if I can find it here quickly. Yeah. So, uh, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. And so just the picture there of, uh, no matter what, you know, the authorities of the world are, are opposed to Christ, opposed to Christianity, coming against us, crowding over us. At the end of the day, Jesus is on the throne that is above every other authority and power. Like he has all... The picture of Psalm 2. Yes. He has all all authority, all power, all rule. And in due time, everything's going to be subjected to him once and for all. And so our, our king is on the throne. And so that was always... That was, that was very encouraging for me. I think also... The passage connecting uh, the end of chapter four going into chapter five, mm-hmm. so it's judgment begins at the household of God, yep. you know, and uh, how how God providentially uses suffering to sort of sift sift the church. Um, it is a judgment of sorts, a discipline of sorts, but it's really to purify the church, is to refine the church. Right. But then the connection there to okay, so judgment begins at the household of God, so. Mm-hmm. Yep. I exhort you elders. Yep. <laughs> and and you go back to I think it's the passage in Ezekiel 9, I think it is. Um where uh that's it. Peter's just picking up right where Ezekiel is or like the Lord to Ezekiel right. is, is talking about there of judgment beginning at the at the doorstep of the of the sanctuary of the temple mm-hmm. and and they go first to the elders. And so the elders seeing that the elders are ultimately accountable for what's happening uh, in the in the life of the church, or the authenticity of, of the body of Christ, and so that was a, a major. Again, like you said, it was something that was weighty for for me right. as an elder, but also like wow, what a what a privilege and mm-hmm. and joy to to be in, in such a position. And then I think yeah. also just the the mention there in chapter five, the beginning of chapter five of. Um, the necessity in order in order to to shepherd well and as a, as a member of a church to be shepherded well there has to be uh, space has to be eaten up between the, the, the shepherd and the sheep mm-hmm. like we have to be we're called to be among the sheep the sheep are set right. called to be among the shepherds and so just seeing that there I think was really really uh, powerful for me just a one more word that it highlights community rather than it's not just your personal set aside mm-hmm. faith Along those lines, I was thinking about something um, Megan Hill says in this book I really love, A Place to Belong. Mm -hmm. And she talks about how the command to Israel, be holy for I am holy, is a communal command. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the commands required people to be in each other's lives. Mm -hmm. And she says, I wanted to find this. As we come together to the Lord's table and as we receive the water of baptism, God visibly distinguishes the members of our local church from the world and seals us as his own. In our neighborhoods and workplaces, we are surrounded by people who shrug indifferent shoulders at holiness or worse, decry it as harmful to the society. Our coworkers set their hope on the uncertainty of a paycheck. Our neighbors spend their weekends worshiping their lawn or their favorite quarterback. Our fellow students give their image-bearing bodies over to sinful desires and call it sexual empowerment. Every day we live among idolaters and adulteresses, among the greedy and the swindlers. 
Only in the church is the call of God, you shall be holy, for I am holy, taken seriously. As it was for Israel, holiness is our community project. Hmm. First Peter 13 through 20, right yeah. laid over top of that, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, may it be in our church. Yeah. Hmm. So, <clears throat> as we then now step back and, and trying to sort of discern the good that God's done in our church by First Peter this past semester. Anything you discern in the way of uh, evident impact or fruitfulness in, in the body? Either one. You can pick who goes first. <laughs> well, I can say for me personally, yeah. being reminded that the good life is where we walk mm. with Jesus, and that means yeah. suffering. And um, in one sermon you said that we aren't living the good life if we aren't blessing our enemies. Hmm. And mm-hmm. that generally feels like a burden, but it's actually something that redemption empowers us to do and is evidence mm-hmm. of God in our hearts. Mm-hmm. And just all those reminders that the good life isn't waiting to be done with school or living by family or having mm-hmm. an easier life or, you know, all the things that we want. Mm-hmm. It's following Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which we should want most of all. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. hard there. I mean, that's that example of that overlap with Matthew where you're, yeah. you're talking flourishing life. You're talking or a good life mm-hmm. is yeah. flourishing. It's, mm-hmm. it's not just good or bad, but flourishing. It's, it's mm-hmm. abundance. It's the life laid down for the glory Absolutely. of Christ. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. And that concept of flourishing, I love thinking about that. And how Jonathan Pennington develops that Mm -hmm. because we think of this blessedness being like divine blessing in maybe answering our prayers, but it's really how did God create us to be and how do we flourish in this life under his rule Mm -hmm. and suffering comes with that. But it's not just like, Oh great. I get to suffer. It's Mm -hmm. more than that. It's walking with God and living yeah. How we were designed to be and allowing him to just renew our souls. Yeah. And that's it's, such it's a Christ, the, the wisdom thought. at creation being also the wisdom for sustaining life and sustaining our walk with Christ yeah. as a community. Yeah. 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 In suffering, you're, you are walking with Jesus. Like that yeah. is the, the blessing is that you're with him and he's with you. You're walking hand in hand with right. him. On top of that, then you also, as Peter says, have the the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you and all of that. And then on top of that, Jesus says, you're going to be rewarded in heaven as well as you do that. So it's just Mm -hmm. like, yeah, just walk with me, take up your cross Mm -hmm. and keep on coming. Yeah. Yeah. George, you have anything just in terms of of impact uh, for our our congregation? Yeah. I mean, I think we did the letter at a, a... I say right time. We did it at a, a, a very meaningful time in just the life of, say, our nation and the world, hmm. um, dealing with you know COVID and being you know sort of hmm. is hmm. worship worth the risk, um, those kind of things. And it gave us an opportunity to go. This is what Christ sort of handed down to his people. This is how the early church responded when the overwhelming culture said, "This is what we find important." The church said, "This is." what we find important it's willing we're, we're willing to stake our lives on that mm-hmm. um so it, it it definitely spoke into a moment in time and allowed us to to really respond to that in in the right way um, not as a argumentative but uh this is who we are as christians we actually hold worship and honoring christ together in community is it's worth our lives mm-hmm. in a sense this is, this is really what we're saying so mm-hmm. I found that pretty good. And it also deal, dealt with, because it dealt with, you know, how we function as a people in relationship to government and how we do it to, to the culture. All of those really 
reflected in our community really well and even saw some people who, you know, may have been a little bit more, you know, I'm going to do my thing and I'm not going to you know, let anybody tell me what to do. Even some softening of that in the community mm-hmm. um, as we read First Peter and kind of dealt with, you know, how does Peter think we should handle dealing with a nation that's not following God, um, but that we're still part of that culture, yeah. part of that part of that nation at least. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I mean, we also, so I was reading a book called The Compelling Community with the mm-hmm. Deacons, and I think sort of paired with First Peter, I mean, I just have had a, a very uh, general um, but very encouraging sense that, that the church is being sort of refined and, and, and galvanized by the emphasis that Peter puts on the, the local church. Uh, what What is the local church? Uh, what are we supposed to, to be about? Um and in particular, just that we have a desire to to be around one another all the time, mm-hmm. you know, or as much as as much as we as can, much be. humanly possible. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and so I think I've seen I've seen that begin to take root and and flower uh, within individual lives, but but in you know groups within the church and stuff like that as well. So that's been very encouraging mm-hmm. uh, for me to see pastorally. Okay, so we're done with First Peter. We just did a few weeks on uh, a couple uh, Psalms of Ascent. Uh, we're about to start teaching through Esther. You ever heard a sermon series through Esther? Yes. Once. Good. A lot of people say, who's Esther? <laughs> no, Somebody's grandma. <laughs> Not a name we use a lot now. <laughs> right. Um, so anything you're especially looking forward to in that word from God? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, as we uh, head into it, um, I, in the fall, I'm taking my Hebrew course, yes. my, my first official like language since college that I haven't that I've done officially like in a course. Usually it's just on my own. Uh, but in the fall, I do Hebrew. So I'm looking forward to sort of pre-working through some Hebrew over the summer so that I don't come in the come into the course completely like, oh, what I'm talking <laughs> about. I don't, I don't know what we're doing. I, yeah. I, I plan on being a little bit already prepared. Uh, yeah. So Esther is a good opportunity to... Do that. So if, so if I'm looking down at a, a book or something, it's not that I'm not paying attention. I may just be writing out in Hebrew. Okay. I should be picturing it the other way, but you can't see that anyway, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> you never cease to amaze. No. I'm looking forward to hearing a book that isn't preached on a lot. Mm. And kind of like I said in Job, it was one of the first mm. times I had heard a sermon series where every sermon I was just like, wow, I've never heard that. Hmm. I've never been exposed to that because I'd never heard someone preach through Job. Hmm. And with Esther, there's a lot of just kind of ideas floating out there of what it's about. Yeah. But just... As evidenced by our conversations about <laughs> what to title the yeah. sermon series. Right. <laughs> but just what is the main point of getting Esther? to yeah. hear it preached yeah. chapter by chapter. And since it's the only Old Testament book that doesn't have... Yahweh's name mm-hmm. in it, yeah. just seeing God working mm-hmm. behind the scenes mm-hmm. in his people's lives. Because I think a lot of Christians feel that today, like for seasons of their life, yeah. like I don't know how God's working. And mm-hmm. I felt that in seasons, but we trust that he is. And I'm yeah. excited to see that in Esther. Yeah. yeah, the comment made about Esther, maybe you were chosen for this time, kind of, it's both her, it's the people, and it, it forces the question of, well, who is choosing here? Because there's more going on here than would have been expected mm-hmm. on human terms. So yeah, I'm looking forward to that. 
that mm-hmm. whole nature. And then just her, her courage. I mean, her stepping out, that cultural setting. I like history, so mm-hmm. that, that whole, her stepping out into that culture and, and being faithful yeah. in yeah. the midst of it. That's, that's pretty cool. Kind of reflects First Peter again. And, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think I'm most excited about, again, like you, like Hannah mentioned, to, uh, just God behind behind the scenes, but but sovereign yeah, over everything. And it's being communicated to us in a way that's very different mm-hmm. uh, in the scriptures. So and such and such happened, and this happened, and circumstantial, and all this kind of stuff. But behind that is like an, an overruling hand, mm-hmm. you know. And just to see that, I think that just speaks so powerfully uh, and practically to just the daily life of the Christian. Where is God? Where, mm-hmm. where is God in all of this? You know, and so there's a sense in which Esther is, is one of the books, or maybe the, the chief book in the Bible, that it, it really does like uh, resonate with our, our day-to-day. We, just, we have to go back to the scriptures. Mm-hmm. You know, God's not parting, parting seas for us. He's, you know, the, the miracles and the wonders and all these things that we see in the Old Testament. None of that's happening in Esther. You know, right. they're, they're just having to, to base everything off of the scripture that's around it. And then mm-hmm. we're having to do the same thing as we come to that text. And so I just think, what a great word for, for believers yeah. today. Uh, it's an also an interesting, I mean, and this is something I'm interested in seeing how it plays out. But I mean, you have all these feasts and celebrations in the law and, and Esther kind of really kind of presets for a feast that's not in the law. Mm-hmm. But then when we get to the gospels, we see Jesus go right to that, to use it, to identify himself Mm-hmm. as salvation for the people and so right. that, that whole fleshing out of kind of rounding out a gospel yeah. picture from the law and from the prophets it's that's kind of yeah. interesting so I'll, i'm looking forward to that and I, yeah. I feel like it's easy to see esther as the hero but the author of the book doesn't paint her as the hero Correct. especially her initial actions are very pagan but somehow god is redeeming that all and mm-hmm. just thinking about that in our culture or in our lives, like it's easy to see God's faithfulness in faithful leaders and people, right. but being reminded that he's faithfully redeeming us even with unfaithful decisions and mm-hmm. people. Yeah. We read David the same way, like David and Goliath. We, we read mm-hmm. it. We're David. We're, we're the Israelite camp hiding back while God rescues. Yeah. He's working all things, the good oh. and the bad together yeah. for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Okay, so uh, either of you have any any final thoughts that you'd like to share on anything? I do have one. A, you you kind of you kind of headed towards it, but I mean, I, it kind of reflects on for First Peter how important it is that we be reading in the Old Testament. Uh, some teachers want to say divorce it from our you know we don't need it anymore. We're, we've got enough with the New Testament, and it's the foundation. First of Peter the says of First Peter. Uh-uh, no, right. Isaiah, Psalms, Ezekiel. Uh, Exodus, Leviticus. So he's he's yeah. rich in the Old Testament. We just can't ignore it and think that we're going to get a doctrine right, but we're not going to get community, spiritual, lived out community right if we're not reading in the Old Testament. And seeing what God actually said, hey, Israel, act like this if you're going to be a holy people reflecting my calling of you. This is how it looks like. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. So read in the Old Testament. Do it. Yep. I was very blessed by First Peter. Very thankful to God for it. I'm very thankful for both of you. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Nice.